almost feel like I don't need to preach after that song. I, that song is, is the sermon. My very present help in time of need. I love that. It's just, it's beautiful. I'm going to continue to keep our tradition uh, today. Every January, I, as uh, those of you who were here last week know, I, I always start my first sermon in this church on January is always Kadesh Barnea. It's always Kadesh Barnea because it highlights the consequences, the tragic consequences of not obeying the Lord. And I don't want us to go into 2009 with um, a flippant attitude about whether we're going to obey the Lord or not. And when you look at Kadesh Barnea, you can't help but walk away with the lesson of what it costs not to obey the Lord. You know, Oswald Chambers said, you know, the Christian perpetually is always coming to the place where you have to decide for God or against God. Sometimes it happens daily. Sometimes it's, it's monthly. Sometimes it's something huge in the middle of the year. But you have to decide for God or against God. And, and I love the way he has said that. And the Jews would not decide for God. And they would not go into the promised land, although God had promised it to them for 500 years he said, all you have to do is go get it and I'm going to give it to you. And they would not believe. Remember we talked about last week that unrisky disobedience is a risky thing. Right? Unrisky disobedience is a risky thing. It's far more, uh, it's, it's far more risky than risky obedience. I know that's hard to process. It's kind of hard to say. <laughs> no, it's a little hard to process. But unrisky disobedience is a risky thing. We saw that the Jews came under the judgment of God. All you have to do is go read Numbers chapter 14. They would not trust Him. They would not believe Him. They would not obey Him. And they died in the wilderness. They were one step away from everything they ever dreamt of. But it was a step they wouldn't take. It was a step of faith. It's like so many professed Christians in the modern church. They profess Christ, but they never actually ever live their faith at all. You know, so many of us are good at coming and sitting in the pew, um, but what Christ wants us to do is follow Him out there. Yes, we come here and we're encouraged and we're edified and we worship the Lord. But you know, if we're real Christians, we're supposed to show it out there, right? We're supposed to live it out there. People are supposed to see the reality of Christ in our life. They're supposed to sense the power of Christ in our life. And so every January, I want us to stand at Kadesh Barnea and I want to see, I want to learn from their mistake. I want, I want us to see what it costs to shrink back from the living God. And that's what two million Jews did. And it was costly. Disobedience to God, it, the cost of that is incalculable. It's incalculable in both time and eternity. In God's economy, unrisky disobedience is a risky thing. So, as we go into 2009, some of you may be standing there with, with those two million Jews at Kadesh Barnea, and you may be looking into 2009, and it may look very scary to you. It may look risky to you. What God is calling you to may look costly to you. But what I want to exhort you to do as I did last week, I want to exhort you to obey God with glad, reckless joy. And that's Oswald Chambers, one of, the, the, one of his best devotionals. I love that guy. Um, I used to read him all the time. 
He says, man, when you come up to that hard place, he says, here's what the real Christian does. He just obeys God. And he does it with a glad, reckless joy. And I'm going to exhort you tonight, as I did last week, I want you to be a doer of the Word in 09. You know, if you've been playing Christianity, if it's just been a game with you, if you're just simply a church member and that's all, you just come and, and you sit in the chair, but you don't really go out in the world and do it, then I'm going to exhort you tonight. I'm talking to you tonight. I'm talking to you. If you profess to be a Christian, go live it out there. The world needs to see that Christ is real and that He changes lives. People need to see it, they need to feel it, and they need to hear it. And that's why you're still here. That's why God hasn't taken you up. If you're His tonight, that's why you're still here. To live the truth and the power of Christ in front of an unbelieving world. Remember what Caleb said last week, Numbers 13 and 14. You remember what Caleb said? Anybody? He said, by all means. Remember the, the, the Jews were about to rebel and he said, by all means we should go up and take the land. He said, do not fear. The Lord God is with us. That's my exhortation to you in 2009. By all means, obey the Lord. By all means. At every turn, obey the Lord. At every turn, obey the Lord. And you will have your best year with Christ in 2009. And as I told the morning congregation, you'll have the best year you ever lived. Ever. If you'll do one simple thing, that's obey Jesus Christ at every turn. Friends, He's not trying to keep anything from you. He's trying to give you the life of God. And you can't have it on your own terms. You can't have the life of God on your own terms. It's on His terms. Remember what Joshua and Caleb said together? Those three things they said. They said, God is bringing us into a good place. You remember? And God will give us what He promised. You remember? And then He said, God will turn our fear into our prey. And He will do those three things for you this year. If you will believe Him, if you'll trust Him, and you'll act on His Word. God's just... God's, it's like He's in the starting, you know, the starting blocks. He's like a sprinter. He's just ready. He's just ready to come to you as you obey Him, as you honor Him in your life. When it comes to His children, God is unambiguous. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. You know, I, I love that verse, and I forget where it is. I think it's Deuteronomy. God told the Old Testament Jews, He says, I love you because I love you. And God loves His people with an everlasting love. You know what that means? No beginning and no end. I love that. I love that. And nothing in the created order can separate us from the love of God. God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And Adam sang that beautiful song. And here it is in the text in my sermon. I, God says, I am a shield to my people. Does anybody in here believe that? Anyone? Anybody? A couple people believe it. God is a shield to His people. What else does He say? He says, I'm a rock, I'm a fortress, I'm a refuge, I'm a stronghold, I'm a strong tower for My people. I'm a hiding place for My people. In Romans 8, that beautiful thing, He says, I'm for My people. Friends, do you really believe that? Do you, believe God? Do you really believe that? You know, I get so tired of Christians living Christianity about that big. About this big. Friends, if you believe God's for you, you're not going to live it that big. 
if you really believe Jehovah Jireh is for you, <laughs> you're not going to live a little bitty manageable Christian existence. You're not. You're going to live it huge. You're going to be like Caleb. By all means. By all means, we should obey the Lord. And friends, that's the heart and soul of Christianity. It's what you believe about God. It's what you believe about God. If you live your Christianity small, it's because you don't really believe Him and you don't really trust Him. If you did, you'd live it big. Because He's a huge God. How you believe Him, how you trust Him, how you obey Him is a commentary on what you really believe about God. You know, it's important to, to talk about what you believe. But you know what? The way you live really speaks uh, more loudly than what you say. And people can watch you and they can tell if you really know Him if you really love Him, if you really trust Him, and if you're really honoring Him in your life. Friends, I told you last week, God's a promise keeper. And if you believe God's a promise keeper, man, obeying God with glad, reckless joy, is, it just, there's nothing to it. It's, it's, it's a walk in the park. If you really believe Jehovah Jireh is a promise keeper, obeying God with glad, reckless joy is no big deal. And I want to exhort you to believe God like you've never believed Him before in 2009. You know, if you just kind of slid through 08 and you didn't really give yourself over to Christ and you didn't really fully uh, give your attention to Him and you didn't really obey Him as you know you should, well, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you to drive a stake in the ground right now. This is January 09 and you give 09 to Jesus Christ. You give 09 to Christ. And you come see me December 31, which will be here in about the blink of an eye. Am I right? And you come see me. You tell me if it wasn't the best year you ever had on the planet. I'm not just talking about with Christ. Because if you go with Him, He's going to fill you up. He's going to fill you up. If you'll go where He leads, He's going to fill you up. So every January, I want to stand at Kadesh Barnea. I'm going to take you to Kadesh Barnea. And I want us to see what it costs to shrink back from the living God. And I also want to stand there. I want to be one of Gideon's 300 men, outnumbered 450 to 1. And I want to go down there uh, against the enemy, and I want to watch God rout them. Because, listen, friends, some of you got huge problems you're facing in 09. Guess what? God knows how to handle it. I told the morning congregation, God knows how to handle the impossible. Anybody believe that? God knows what to do with the impossible. So that's why I always want to look at Gideon. You know, this is impossible. This is, it's impossible. But God's going to show up and He's going to rout the enemy. So I hope you have your Bibles. Judges, Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And before I get into Gideon... I'm going to give you some free stuff. You know, sometimes I just give you free stuff. It's not really part of the sermon. It's just free. It's just extra free stuff. So I, I don't charge for this. So I want to give this to you. I want to give you three things I want you to remember in 09. I want you to remember three promises of God or three statements of God in 09. I don't want you to forget these. Anybody remember Genesis 18, 14? The Lord asked the question of Abraham, Is anything too hard for me? Does anybody remember the context there? Remember that uh, God had come to uh, Abraham and Sarah. It's a theophany. God had come. Pre-incarnate Christ had come. And He'd made that promise to a, 
to a man who's 100 years old and a woman who's 90 years old and has been barren all her, all her life, God says, I'll return in a year and you'll have a son. Anybody remember what Sarah did? She laughed. God says, why does she laugh? God said, why, did, why does she laugh? Is anything too hard for me? Listen, Christian friend, there's nothing too hard for you. There's nothing too hard for you, God. And I'm exhorting you to live like that. I'm exhorting you to live like you believe. There's nothing too hard for your God. Genesis 21, 1 and 2, And the Lord did for Sarah as He promised. Numbers 11, 23, The Lord asked this question to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Does anybody remember the context? Remember the Jews were complaining about the manna and they wanted some meat. But there are two million of them. And Moses, Moses knew it was impossible. But God says, I'm going to bring them meat. I'm going to bring them meat. And Moses, Moses couldn't believe it. He said, if all the fish of the sea uh, were delivered up, it wouldn't be enough. And the Lord said, is the Lord's power limited? And the Lord brought quail up from the sea, what the text says. And, and, he, and He made the quail fall around the camp uh, two cubits deep, three feet deep. The quail fell, uh, fell around the camp. The Lord said, now you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. Friends, if you'll obey Him, it'll come true. If you'll trust Him, it'll come true. The last one is Mark 10, 27. With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Does anybody remember the context? Jesus had just talked about how, you know, this is kind of a sobering reality for you and I in that we are some of the richest human beings on the face of the planet. Now, I know some of the students are, you know, just getting by. I understand that. But we live in Europe uh, or America. We live in, in a prosperous land, you know. And Jesus says it's easy, easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. Of course, that's a whole other sermon. And the disciples were going, what? Because they believed in the first century that a rich man had the favor of God and, and was closer to, to God and closer to heaven. And the disciples said, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, all things are possible with God. Friends, I want you to remember those three things. I want you to remember those three things this year. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. His power is not limited. And all things are possible with Him. Obeying God with glad, reckless joy. You know, if we really believe these things to be true about God, you know, it's not only reasonable, it's imperative. It's imperative for you to live your Christianity huge, to live it huge. We saw last week that God is always pushing His children to faith. This is what God does. Why does God push His children to faith? What is it that pleases God? What is the only thing that pleases God? What is the only thing men can do that please God? Hebrews 11.6 Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let me ask you, Christian friend, are you living your faith? This pleases God. When you live it, it pleases God. He sees it. And He loves it. And it pleases God. And he's going to drive a man named Gideon to faith. Okay, we're going to see that. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. But he's going to drive a, a man to Gideon 
uh, a man named Gideon to faith, and Gideon's at a crossroads, and he must decide for God or against God. You heard the text read, Judges chapter 6, verse 1, uh, the sons of Israel had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. And the Lord sends a prophet down here in verse 7 and 8, 9 and, and 10. And the prophet says, you know, the Lord has been good to you. He brought you out of Egypt. He dispossessed the, the inhabitants of Canaan. And He gave you the land, verse 10, but you have not obeyed Me. This is why the Midianites have subjugated the Jews. Because they have not obeyed the Lord. Again, again, we see it in the text over and over and over and over and over again in the Bible. Disobedience is costly. Disobedience is costly. Look at verse uh, 11 and 12. This is another theophany. This is God. Anytime you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's God. That's a technical phrase. It's, it's, a, it's a phrase for Him. It's pre-incarnate Christ. Many will call this, this theophany, this appearance. And it, it's God. And He comes and He sits under an oak tree. Right? Verse 12. And the Lord appeared to, to, uh, to Gideon. And He said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. He says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. There's only one thing wrong with this, uh, with this greeting. What is it? Does anybody know? He heard the sermon this morning. He's not a warrior. The only thing we can discern from Scripture about Gideon is that he's a farmer. So why is God calling him a warrior? Why is God calling him a warrior? Because God's going to turn him into one. And what I want to challenge you today, Christian friend, in 09, I want you to leave enough room for God to show up and change you. I, I want you to, to leave enough room for God to show up and make you into what He wants you to be. You know, you don't just live your life being what you want to be. You know, if you call yourself a Christian, uh, and not only, not only is this somewhat of an obligation, but this is where your, your deepest satisfaction and joy will be when you give yourself over to the living God. When you give yourself over to the living God and give Him room to change you and to change your life. You know, Gideon just lets this uh, valiant warrior thing go right past him. He doesn't really want to know about that. I mean, this could upset his very secure, very manageable farming career, so he just lets that go past he doesn't even ask God about that. But I love what Matthew Henry says. Matthew Henry said, God begins the process of animating Gideon to undertake something great. He's going to invite Gideon into Hebrews chapter 11. Everybody know what that is? That's the chapter of faith. And guess what? He's inviting you into. He's inviting you into the, into the chapter of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. He's inviting you in. He's inviting you in. To live a life that honors Him, a life of faith, a life that pleases Him. Let me ask you, will you accept that invitation in 09? Will you give yourself over to Christ? Will you really follow Him? Will you really follow Him? I'm not talking about coming to church. I want you to come to church. You should come to church. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're to come together as the body of Christ. I'm not just talking about coming to church. I'm talking about living with People see in you the reality of Christ. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 13. And Gideon starts to complain. He says, Lord, why has all this happened? 
Where are your miracles? Why have you abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian? Look at verse 14. Verse 14. And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? I love this. You know, Gideon starts to get a complaint going. A complaint going here. He starts to wring his hands, and and he wants to know why things aren't going the way he thinks they ought to. And God looks him right in the eye, and he says, "Hey, why don't you go fix it, Gideon? Don't you love that? Don't you love that? God is animating Gideon to to begin the process of undertaking something great." I love what John MacArthur says. He says, Too often as Christians we assign our own feebleness to God. You know, when God calls us to do a thing, what's the first thing you and I tend to do? We look in the mirror. We say, Oh my gosh, I can't do that. I don't have the wherewithal. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the ability. I don't have the talent. I don't have the faith. I don't have the courage. I can't do that. Listen, when God calls you to the hard place, are we supposed to be looking in the mirror? Oh! Are we supposed to be looking at God? What do you think? You just need to stop looking in the mirror. That's just going to mess you up. Okay? Spiritually. (laughs) I mean, it's good. It's good that, you know, you brush your hair and, you know, shave and all that stuff. That's good. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, man, you need to stop looking in the mirror. God wants you to look at Him. And, you know, Gideon, look what he says here. Look what he says. Well, let me. Let me I, I don't want to get out of. I don't want to get out of. Uh, I don't want to get my train of thought lost here. So we're to look at God. Gideon thinks he's a farmer, but God is going to turn him into your, into a warrior. And again, I want. I just want to challenge you. I want you to leave room for God to change you in 09. I want you to leave room for God to show up. I don't want you to have your life so micromanaged and controlled that there's no room for God to show up. And do a huge thing and change you. Friends, I want to be changed. You say, well, Jim, you're already a preacher. You already love God. You're already living for God. No, I'm not. Not like I want to. Not like I want to. I want to be changed. I want to live more for God. I want to walk more closely with God. I want to know Him better. And friends, this is, what's, this is the payoff. When you go with God, you get God. You get that disclosure from God. So there's that great line in Twyla Paris, one of Twyla Paris' songs. She says, I've learned to dream the dreams God has dreamed for me. You know, she's no longer trying to control her own destiny, control her own life. She's leaving room for God to show up and bring His dream into her life. God says this awesome thing. Look what He says. The Lord looked at him, verse 14, looked at Gideon and said, Hey, you go do it. And then God says at the end of verse 14, He says, Have I not sent you? And that always changes the calculus. That changes the mathematics. When God says, I've sent you, that changes everything. If we're sent by God, we can do anything in the power of God. Gideon says, Man, why is all this stuff happening? God says, Hey, you go be my miracle. And let me tell you, friends, in in 09, God's going to ask you to be somebody's miracle. Okay? And I want you to be ready. And I want you to say, yes, sir, I'll be your miracle. I'll be your provision in this circumstance. In 09, trust me, God is going to ask you to be somebody's miracle. Look at verse 15. And Gideon said to him, O Lord, how shall I do it? He's looking in the mirror, right? 
Behold, my family is the least in Panassa, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. He says, I, I'm, a nowhere, I'm, a, I'm a nobody farmer from a nowhere farming place, and I'm the youngest farmer in my farming family. How could I do this? God says, I've sent you. I've sent you. That changes everything. God says, I have sent you. Verse 16. The Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. You know, sometimes Christianity is hard. If you really live it, I'm not talking about just being a church member, I'm talking about really living it in the world. And you're always going to come up against those things that are hard, that are risky. And if you obey God here, you might lose your job. If you obey God here, you might break that relationship. Sometimes it's hard. You know, I've told you this many times. I love this quote. Christianity is not a run through the park with a bouquet of balloons. it, It was never intended to be that. It's not about Rolexes and Mercedes. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. It's not name it and claim it. Friends, that's a false gospel. That is not a biblical gospel. Sometimes God's going to bring you to a hard place, and next week we're going to talk about that. You know, what about Daniel? Daniel was in a hard place and he believed and he was delivered. Well, what about Stephen? Stephen obeyed the Lord, but what happened to Stephen? He was stoned. Was God unfaithful? No. So how do we think about that? How do we process that? That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about next week. God is animating Gideon to do something great. And when we get to 2000, uh, when we get to December 31, 2009, I want you to be able to say, I have fought the good fight in 09. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now, as you know, some of you know the story. Gideon asked for and receives three signs. And so I think it's important for me to comment on this. In fact, Gideon knows that he's pushing it when he asks for that third sign over in chapter 6, verse 39. He says, Lord, don't get mad at me, but would you give me one more sign? And the Lord is gracious to Gideon and He gives him that, that last sign. But do, does faith come by signs? Is that what the Bible teaches us? How does faith come? Does anybody in this room know how faith comes? How does it come? Yes. By hearing the Word of God. Listen, friends, what I want to say to you, it's not normative in the Christian life to be asking God for signs and receiving them. It's not normative in the Christian life. We are to believe the Word of God and act. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Here are your signs right here. Manifold and multiply. Here are your signs. Believe Jehovah God. Believe Jehovah God and act on His Word. Okay, back to Gideon. He sent out messengers and, uh, to the various tribes of Israel and he got 32,000 guys. Okay? Chapter 7, verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, you got too many guys. Why did, why, what does the text say? Why, why does he have too many guys? Because you're going to boast. Now, if you read the text a few chapters more, you'll discover that there are at least 135,000 soldiers. At least 135,000 soldiers. So 32 to 135, that's 4 to 1. But God says that's too many. You'll boast. You'll think you did it in your own strength. He says, tell every man that's afraid to go home. So 22,000 of them immediately leave. Right? They bail. And I often thought, man, what did they lose? And this is what's at stake for you and I. What did they lose when they bailed on God? You know what they lost? They lost the exhilaration of watching God rout that enemy. 
They, they lost the exhilaration that comes when you and I, at all costs, obey Christ and watch Him deliver us. Friends, that's an awesome thing. I've had this experience. I trust that many of you have had this experience. It's an experience I would not trade for anything. I've told you many, many times, faith is an, is an addicting thing. Because once you start to go down that path, man, you love it. Because guess what? God's faithful. Every time, God's faithful. Every time you take a chance with God, oh, He's faithful. He never doesn't show up. As we sing that song, great is thy faithfulness. So 22,000 of them bail, and there's only 10,000 guys left. But God says, you still got too many guys. That's 13 to 1. But God says, that's too many. So He weeds them down to 300 guys. Right? He weeds them down to 300 guys. And I'm in chapter 7, uh, verse 4. Um, God says, there's still too many. So He weeds them down to 300 that's 450 to 1. Okay? 450 to 1. Just impossible enough. And he's driving Gideon to faith. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is the Lord's power limited? All things are possible with God. And God is teaching this truth to Gideon. And I'm trying to teach it to you tonight. I want you to live 09 like you really believe it. Listen, friends, what did Paul say? Christians, real Christians, live by sight. We have to have it all figured out before we'll ever do anything. We have to have all our boxes checked and we all have to micromanage our whole lives and so there's no risk involved. Is that what Paul says Christianity is? What did Paul say? We don't walk by what? Sight. We don't. We walk by faith. Are you walking by faith, Christian friend? Are you walking by faith? Or do you have to have everything sorted out before you'll ever take a step to follow God? He's calling us to faith. He's calling us to faith. So, James says, you have faith? What does he say after that? <laughs> Where are your works? You say you have faith? Where are your works? Getting his 300 men are about to become doers of the Word. If God doesn't show up, they are butchered. This is pretty stark, pretty dramatic. Let me ask you, have you ever followed God like that? Have you ever taken a risk with God like that? What are the realities here? Chapter 7, verse 16, 17, and 18. Gideon hands out to these 300 guys, he hands out a trumpet, and he hands out this, this empty pitcher, and he hands out a torch. And then he says, hey, we got this really cool team cheer for the Lord and for Gideon. That's what they have. And they're going to they're gonna be asked to march down to a camp of 135,000 heavily armed uh, professional soldiers. What do you think? Good plan? Or no? Would you go? You know, it's always good to put yourself in the sandals of these men. In the sandals of these characters in the Bible. It's always good to just put yourself right there. Would you go? Would you go down to the camp of the Midianites. These guys have real swords and real shields and real bows and arrows and real clubs. You know, it's in those moments when you discover who you really are and what you really believe. Those hard times with God. Those hard times with God. Let me ask you, friend. Uh, have you ever walked through a hard time with God? Have you ever obeyed Him through a hard time? Oh, I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. Or is your Christianity just a facade? You know, I, I can't tell you how many in the modern church, it's just a facade. 
You know, it's just, it's just religion. It's like all the other dead religions in the world. It's just, hey, I do this. It's a habit. I show up. I'm sure God's pleased. I tip my hat to him. I'm sure he's happy. Friends, this is not Christianity. Christianity is a relationship with the living God. It's a life-changing relationship with the living God. That's what Christianity is. And he means for you to live it like you've encountered him and like you believe he's a promise keeper. For he is a promise keeper. And so these 300 guys, they march down there. They're going to face off 135,000 and and they blow the trumpet and, and they break that pitcher and the, the torches light up and they give that cheer for the Lord and for Gideon. And guess what? God routs the army. God routs them. Chapter 7, verse 22. Chapter 8, verse 12. God routs the whole army. They believed God. They trusted God. They obeyed God. God gets the glory. He's always going to orchestrate things in in your life in such a way that He gets the glory and you get the joy. Can you imagine the joy of these men? Can you imagine? (laughs) I believe God and He showed up. Have you ever had an experience like that? Christian, you're supposed to be having experiences like that. You're supposed to be having experiences like that if you're walking with Christ. If you're walking with him. Okay, I'm done. More or less. Adam says, well, when you say you're done, you're never done. But I'm pretty much done. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, last year, I mean, last week we talked about, you know, Peter got out of the boat. And I challenged you last week, man, sometimes you just got to get out of the boat. You got to get out of your comfort zone. If you're going to go with Christ, you got to get out of your comfort zone. And what was the command of Christ to Peter? He said, come, Peter. So I'm going to give you four scenarios that may fit almost everybody in this room, okay? Four scenarios for 09. If you've never genuinely repented of your sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and followed Him in baptism, Jesus says, come. Jesus says to you, come. Come. If you... uh, are indulging and tolerating an abiding sin in your life, a sin that you know is taking you away from God and the joy of God. It's a sin that is just in your life and it's in your life and you're not dealing with it. Jesus says, come and I will give you the power to break that sin in your life. Jesus says, come. And I'm challenging you tonight to come and break the power of that sin in your life. If you've grown lethargic in your Christianity, if if you've grown lukewarm in your Christianity and you've been sitting down spiritually, tonight Jesus is saying to you, come. You come. You know how, we know how Jesus feels about being lukewarm, right? Jesus says, come, and you run to win, and you walk with me. The last thing I want to say to you, some of you, some of you may, in here may be called to vocational ministry. Some of you may be called to, to be full-time ministers for God for the rest of your life. And that, hey, that, hey, hey, I've been there. It's a scary proposition. That's a scary proposition. But Jesus says to you, you come, O valiant warrior. Have I not sent you? Friends, obey Christ with glad reckless joy in 2009. Let's pray together. Great God, we thank you for this awesome call. 
We thank you for this awesome call. <laughs> wow, you've invited us into the Hall of Fame of Faith. You've invited us in. You've, you've begun a work in each one of us. Each one of us who have heard this, this, uh, these words tonight. The challenge is there. That we would obey you with no restrictions in 2009. You get the glory and we get the joy. Lord God, may we hear and may we act. Lord God, give us the faith to be bold and to be fearless. To be fearless in the world. We're a vapor upon the earth. We have only a few moments here as compared to a billion eternities. Lord, may we feel the weight of that. May we feel the stewardship You've granted us. And may we embrace it and may we live it in such a way that people around us see it, our spouses see it, our children see it, our co-workers see it, our friends and neighbors see it. Jesus is real and Jesus has power to change lives. Lord God, may we live that. May we allow You to be seen. May we allow Your glory and power to be seen in the way we live every single day. We praise You for this great text. We too can be valiant warriors because You have sent us. You have sent us. Lord God, may we be spiritual combatants for the few days we have remaining on this planet. Thank You, beautiful God. In Jesus' name, Amen.